Amen, amen. Well, hey everybody, welcome. Man, it's, uh, it's so good to celebrate the greatness of God together with you. We, we truly believe that we have a king and a savior who is greater. That's why we sang that together, that, because we have a, a king who is truly greater than anything we've ever known or seen seen in our lives. You know, if, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name's Zach, and uh, I serve as the worship pastor at Mosaic, and uh, a lot of times I'm over at our Winter Garden campus uh, leading songs like Josh does oftentimes here, and every now and then I get the opportunity to step out from behind a guitar and, and get to open up the Word of God and unpack what God is showing us um, and teaching us through His Word, and so uh, that's what I get to do tonight. I'm, I'm stoked to get to be here and do this with you. Uh, it's it's uh, truly a privilege and an honor, and, and I'm humbled to uh, be here uh, and get to do this. And I say that because, um, man, I know that uh, in my own strength, I, I can do no good. Um, apart from Christ, I can do nothing. I'll fail miserably at delivering you the beauty and depth and riches and glory found in his word without a move of the spirit of God. Um, so I just want to begin our time together just by praying and asking the Lord to move. God, we ask today, uh, tonight, that you would speak. God, that you would move, that you would fill me with your spirit and give me words that are uh, beyond me, that are from you. Um, God, that any selfishness or desire for recognition or renown or uh, of my name would be laid aside, and um, I just ask that you would put fully on display your power, your love, your grace, your mercy, your kindness for the glory of God. Uh, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, friends, it's uh, it's good to be gathered up today. It's good to, that we get to gather. Uh, today, whether we're here in the room or joining online, it's so good, truly so good to get to come together as God's people and sing together and worship together and encourage one another and study the scriptures together to encourage one another and stir one another up and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. It's, it's, it's what we're doing together, reminding one another uh, that we have a king who's worthy of our time, worthy of our attention worthy of our affection, worthy of our songs, worthy of our worship, worthy of our lives. It's why we're here, because he's worthy. If he, if he wasn't worthy, there would be no reason for us to be here, right? But we'd be, we'd be somewhere else. We'd be watching the sunset right now at the beach, or we'd be uh, at a park, or uh, we'd be working, or we'd be spending time with friends and or family, we'd be watching a movie somewhere. But in fact, we're here. And I know that may, maybe some of you are now like, wait a second, I could be at the beach. That sounds awesome. <laughs> and it is awesome. I don't, I don't, I don't blame you. But, but this, what we get to do together tonight is absolutely the best use of your time and my time. As good and as God-honoring as it is to spend time in creation, spend time doing things that, that we love and um, hanging out with friends and, and doing those sorts of things. This, what we get to do together week in and week out as the people of God by proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and 
into his marvelous light. The opportunity that we have to worship together and study his word together. This, I believe, is so crucial to the Christian life. It's vital to being a disciple of Jesus. And it's the best use of our time together. And I believe that the passage that we're in together today attests to that. So with that said, we're going to jump back into the book of Colossians where we've been uh, for a while now. So if you have a a copy of the the scriptures, I encourage you to open up to Colossians 3. If you've got a a Bible app, open that up, Uh, skip over Facebook and Instagram and whatever else you may have on your phone and, and jump to the Bible app. Uh, and go to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verse 16 and 17 tonight. And I'm going to read for us. It says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I I know it probably just clicked for some of you. Like, you get it. They've asked the guy that sings a lot to talk about singing. And you're not wrong, honestly. Um, And and we are going to get to talk a lot about singing. There's some beautiful truth in this text about singing together, but this is about so much more than singing. Um, And I believe that God has something for each one of us, whether we like to sing or not. I believe that God has something for us in uh, the truth and beauty of this passage. So to better understand these couple of verses, I think it's important um, to and and helpful to know where where it sits in this book. So the book of Colossians, it's a letter um, that, that the Apostle Paul wrote, inspired by the Spirit of God to the church in Colossae. Uh, He wrote it about the same time he wrote the letter to uh, the the Ephesians. So if you have a book, uh, you have the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians, they have a lot of similarities because he wrote it right around the same time and for the same purposes. And 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 where we've been recently is uh, in Colossians chapter 3, which if if you have a Bible um, or you're looking at an app, likely it says somewhere up above chapter 3, it says put on the new self. That's kind of where we've been recently. It says something to that effect, put on the new self. That's what we've been talking about as a church the last few weeks of what does it mean to put on the new self? Well, putting on the new self is this gospel implication that if we're in Christ, The old us dies and the new us lives. We have a new nature, a new identity, a new purpose. So putting on the new self is the steps that we take in light of this new reality. To be who we actually are, not who we once were. So you you may remember back uh, three weeks ago or so, we were in verses one through four, um, where it talks about setting your mind on things above seeking the things that are above. We talked about uh, the truth and implications of the fact that we are hidden with Christ in God uh, and and is an unbelievable truth of verses one through four. And then two weeks ago, we were in verses five through 11. uh, And and we talked about putting to death what's earthly in us, to, to kill sin before it kills us, right? To put away things like sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, anger, malice, lying. Stop living 
in that way because that's not who we are anymore as a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's no longer our nature. Instead, our nature is to live out what we talked about last week together. It's to, to, to be characterized by things like compa- with, with compassionate hearts, with kindness and humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, and thankfulness. Let those virtues be the characteristics that we are known by as the people of God. These are the characteristics of the new self. You know, this, this passage of scripture um, that we've been in has really uh, has hit me in a fresh way uh, recently. This is, I've known and loved this, this book, uh, this chapter specifically for a long time. Um, but recently it's kind of, I've, I've looked at it in a new light. Now, um, I don't know if any of you are like me. I'm not a big fan of going to the doctor. Anybody? Yeah, I, anybody, I don't, you, nobody, I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, let's go to the doc, you know. Um, but I, I, it's not just my thing. I, I've went years without going to a doctor. I've been, thankfully, mostly healthy most, most, of, my, uh, most of my life. Generally, I'm I, uh, not, real, not really sick all the time, not a lot of, of pain. Uh, you know, I eat fairly well. Um, I've exercised before. Um, <laughs> like, uh, I just didn't really necessarily see the need. And uh, I'm married and I've got three kids. And so my wife thinks a little bit differently. She's like, you're getting on into your 30s now. It's, it's time to, uh, to just go get a checkup. Like we've got kids. There's implications to my health in their life, right? And so uh, we decided back uh, early this year that I would go uh, get a checkup, go uh, start going to a new primary care doctor and, and, and get things checked out. So we made this appointment, walked in, filled out all the paperwork. I'm sitting there with the doctor and uh, going through things. And he asks me, like, how are you doing? Any, any pain, any illness, any, any, any complaints, any struggles, whatever? I'm like, no, I'm doing great. Totally normal. I don't know why I'm here, actually. But... Um, and, uh, he's like, okay, that's awesome. Well, I'm just going to order some blood work, which is kind of just a standard procedure of when you start going to a new, uh, doctor and just check out what's happening inside. Right. And, um, so I do that. I'm like, okay, great. We do that. And thankfully most of the blood work came back, uh, normal. Um, but there were a couple things on there that came back concerning, uh, some things uh, that got his attention and, and he shared with me that if, if they're not dealt with, uh, then there could, it could lead to some severe problems, potentially even fatal problems. And I was like, whoa, hold up. Like that got my attention, right? I was like, I'm, I'm not unhealthy. Like I don't feel bad. Like what, what's going on? And, and on the outside, it didn't necessarily look like I was unhealthy, but internally there was something different. Internally, it said, my body said otherwise. So he made some recommendations on, on what to do to, 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 to correct um, this, these issues. And, and I made a determination that I would, I'm going to like fix this. I'm going to change this. I'm going to see a difference. I'm going to uh, I'm going to make a change. And so I pretty drastically and dramatically 
um, shifted my diet, like all together. I cut out anything uh, junk food related, cut out sugars. I cut out most carbs. Um, instead, I started eating vegetables and more vegetables and more vegetables and a little bit of protein and then more vegetables. And uh, at first, man, it was, it was a bummer. Like I started running a lot and it would, it was exhausted. It, it, I was, I was pretty bummed. I was like, man, I love ice cream. Like I want to go to Chick-fil-A and order a number one fried chicken sandwich that was prepared, prepared by angels and, and glory. Like, like I want a big old waffle fry and Dr. Pepper. Like that's what I crave. That's what I want. I was, I was discouraged. I was like, man, I don't want to live like this. I like these things. It's so much easier to sit, sit around and watch a movie than it is to go run six miles, right? I, I was bummed, but eventually, you know what happened? Things started to change. Things started to shift. I actually had my follow-up appointment uh, on Friday, just two days ago, uh, three months after my original blood work, went and got some more to check on things, how, how things were going. You know what happened? Progress. Like progress happened. And there was a difference in my blood work. There was, things came back and looked different because I started putting into my body things that would benefit my body, not to the detriment of my body. I started using my body in ways that would be to its building up, not to its tearing down. And so it was, it was on the paper, on the blood work, there's a change that's happened in me. And not only that, but when the doctor asked me, how are you doing? The same question he asked me three months ago. How are you feeling? Any complaints, any issues? I was like, actually, I'm actually great. Like, I'm actually doing great. I feel really good. Like, I have way more energy than I did. I'm, I'm sleeping better. I, I don't feel uncomfortable. I'm, I, I have, I'm, not, I'm less irritable and hangry. Like, that's not my story anymore. I'm enjoying. My cravings have changed. My desire for those wonderful, delicious foods has shifted. Uh, it's like I'm a different person than I was three months ago. It's like I've put on a new self. And I think that's kind of what Paul is getting at when he's talking to uh, the church about putting on the new self. He's saying, he's saying, think about things above. Set your mind on things above. Seek the things that are above. Think about the end. Think about what is true and in light of that, live like that. Like live in light of that. Put to death things that are leading to your destruction and, and start living in a way that you were made to, to live. Put on things that lead to life and flourishing. He's inviting us into something so much better, so much more. And that's what brings us to where we are today in Colossians 3 verses 16 and 17. So in light of that, with that kind of fresh on our minds, Colossians 3, 16 and 17, they say this. I'll read it again. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wow, what a, what a call, right? To do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to start there. I will, don't worry, we'll come back to verse 
16, but I think it's really important to start there, this huge call that, that God is giving us in this text. What does it mean to do everything in the name of Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? You know, you may, maybe you've heard somebody pray before and say, in Jesus' name, amen. Like, is, is that the extent of what, of what Paul's getting at? Or, or is that what I now need to do after everything that I do? After every task I say, in Jesus' name, you know, or every email that I send, I sign it, Zach, in Jesus' name. Like, like is that what that means? No, I, I, think it's, I, think it's a little, I think it's a little more. I think there are six distinctions that I, that, that I uh, have pointed out that's been helpful for me um, uh, as I look at what it means to do everything in the name of Jesus. And I want to just share those six things with you real quickly. First, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus or anything in the name of the Lord Jesus for that matter is to do everything as an ambassador of Jesus as your king. As an ambassador of Jesus, your king. As a representative of Jesus. You stand, if you are a Christian, you're a little Christ. That's what that word breaks down to. You're a little Jesus. You walk around representing Jesus to the world around you. And so be an ambassador of Christ. Do everything as a representative, representing the nature and character of Jesus, you are his ambassador. So do everything as an ambassador of Jesus as your king. Second, it's to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus is to do everything through the office of Jesus as your mediator. To do everything through the office of Jesus as your mediator. Second Timothy 2.5 says, there is one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is our mediator. Back in the Old Testament, the people of God, if they wanted uh, to have interaction with God, they had to go through what was called the high priest. And the high priest would go into the temple where the presence of God was and into the Holy of Holies once a year. is crazy. Uh, and he would go in to mediate between God and his people. But when Jesus died on the cross, the, the finished work of Jesus accomplished something. It, it, the veil of the temple was torn and the presence of God no longer dwells in the inner courts of the temple. Instead, now it dwells in us. We have no more need for this earthly high priest. Instead, Jesus has become our high priest and mediates our relationship with God the Father. It's an absolutely incredible reality of the gospel. And so we, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus is to do it through Jesus as our mediator. Third, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus is to do everything under the authority of Jesus as your Lord. See, Jesus is the Lord of the cosmos. He's ruling and reigning supreme over everything. And we are his royal priesthood. We are his holy nation. We walk through this life as royalty. We are co-heirs with Christ, his word says. And so we walk not in our own authority, not anything that we've earned, but in what God has given us, the authority as royalty, as, his, as co-heirs with Christ. We walk and we can stand with wisdom and with humble confidence, not in our own strength and in our own power, but in the authority and name of Jesus Christ. The fourth thing, 
is to do, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, is to do everything in the footsteps of Jesus as your example. To do everything in the footsteps of Jesus as your example. How did Jesus live his life? Let's look, like, look at his life. If you want to know what it looks like to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, just follow his lead. Follow his example. How did he love? How did he care for people? How did he serve the poor and the broken and the destitute? How did he live on mission? How did he proclaim the good news of the gospel? How did he spend time with his father? Let's use Jesus as our example, walking in his footsteps in everything that we do. Fifth, it's to do everything with the strength of Jesus as your helper. Not in your own strength, but in the strength of Christ within you, the hope of glory. See, after, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit. The same spirit that raised Christ up from the dead, he sent it to us, the people of God, to come and live and dwell in us and to empower us, to help us to be our strength. And so that power, if, if you are in Christ, if you've put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, that power is in you. So lean on it, trust in it, depend on him, your helper. And sixth and finally, to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus is to do everything for the glory of Jesus as your God. See, there's one name that will echo throughout eternity, forever and ever and ever. There is one name and it's not yours and it's not mine. It is the name of Jesus. It's the name above all names. We will forever be living for the glory of Jesus, proclaiming the glory of Jesus. So live now for his name and for his renown, for his fame and for his glory. This is what it means to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's really the culmination of putting on the new self. This is what it looks like. If we want to put on the new self, it, it looks like doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, if you're like me, that can feel really daunting. Like that, like all those things, that's, that's, you, you may say, that's good, Zach, but that's hard. That seems tough. Like that is a high bar that I don't know that I can reach. I don't even know where to start. Well, I believe that the word of God tells us where to start. I believe Paul shows us where to start. Look back at verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He starts with the word of Christ. You wanna know how to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? Well, it starts with the word. It starts with this book, his holy scriptures, the, the word of God. See, this, this book is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. This book is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. 2 Timothy 3. This word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Psalm 119. And although the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of the Lord, this word, these scriptures, this word of God will stand forever. Isaiah 40. You want to know how to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus? It begins with the word. 
And how do we handle this word? What what does Paul say? Like, how are you to treat it? He says, let it dwell in you richly. Richly, I love that. It means like lavishly, like abundantly, overflowing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, Paul here, he's, he's kind of speaking to two uh, distinct realities when he says in you. Because he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to you and he's talking to me, saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you, like within you. But he's also talking to the church as a whole. It's a letter to the, to the church in Colossae. He's talking to the collective of believers. And he's saying, let the word of Christ dwell in you, like among you, collectively. He's saying, let it dwell within you individually and among you collectively. Let's dive a little deeper into that. What does it mean that the word of Christ would dwell within you? Well, it means, what, what, what is a dwelling? It's like a home, right? Somewhere, you, if you dwell somewhere, you live there. You take up residence there. If the word of Christ is to dwell in us, it needs to make a home in us. It's to, to allow the word of Christ to reside in our hearts. And, and I would say if in order for to, be, to live somewhere, you first have to go inside, right? You can't just stay out on the lawn and be like, yeah, I live there, but you never actually go inside, right? So if the word of Christ is to dwell in us, it, we have to invite it in. We have to take it in. We have to welcome it in. Some of us have never really given the word of God a chance. We've never, we've barely cracked it open. We've never really spent much time in it. The time that we have spent in it, we've ignored it maybe. Or, or even at the time that we spend singing the truth of God's word together and hearing it preached um, in, in church together, we've allowed it to go in one ear and out the other. And, and I, I say that because if I, as I've spent time this week, uh, in the last few weeks preparing for tonight, I've, I've just been so challenged and convicted about how, like, is, am I, is the word of Christ dwelling richly in me? Am I welcoming it in, inviting the word of Christ into my life? Or is there something else that I'm welcoming in more? Is there something else that is dwelling in me? It, it kind of goes back to like my diet shift, right? I, I wanted to see a change in my life. So I changed what I put into my body. What am I intaking? Is it leading to my benefit or to my detriment? See, in, in our culture, like there's no lack for input. Like you can get input from anyone, anytime, anywhere. There's no shortage of information that we can absorb and consume. And, and we've become a people who crave it, right? We're thirsty for it. We gotta have information. We gotta know Everything. Many of us, for many of us, we allow different news sources, CNN, Fox News, to be our leading source of input into our lives. The Apple News app is what dwells in us richly. For some of us, we allow what people are sharing on social media, on Facebook or on Instagram, to be our leading source of what is feeding us and filling us. We let the input and information of the culture be what dwells in us richly, not the word of Christ. That has to change. That has to change for me. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
It's one thing to have a Bible on your shelf or on your coffee table, and it's a different thing to have it on your heart. It's one thing to have a Bible app downloaded onto your phone. It's another thing to allow its truths to be stored up in your soul. An old preacher, his name's Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way. He said, a man who dwells in a house abides, resides, continues there. Oh, to have the word of Christ always dwelling inside of us, in the memory never forgotten, in the heart always loved, in the understanding really grasped, with all the powers and passions of the mind fully submitted to its control. And we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, within us. And the word of Christ needs to dwell in us collectively, among us as the church. When we come together, the centrality of our gatherings should always be the word of God. Everything that we do, everything that we sing, everything that we say should always be centered on and rooted in and grounded in and pointing to the word of God. Of God. Acts 2 uh, 42, it's, it's this section of scripture uh, where the early church is starting to gather up together. And it's, it's kind of this pinnacle, really, uh, of what the church uh, looks like, at least in our day, what we would desire. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. They started. Uh, giving to each other as they have need. They had everything in common. Uh, They started living in unity together and they saw God adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's like what we read as the church now and we're like, man, I want that for us, right? That would be so great if that was our story. We long to see that. We long to witness God saving people left and right. Where did it start for them? Well, it started with they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What were the apostles teaching? The apostles were teaching the word. They were teaching the word of Christ, the story of Jesus, the the truth of the gospel. They were teaching the word. And that's where Paul is taking us next. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Paul is saying here that one of the ways in which the word of Christ dwells in you richly is by teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. When we come together, we have this responsibility to teach the truths of the word of God. And we have this responsibility to admonish one another, to warn one another, to to say in love, hey, don't go that way. Don't, don't live that way. It leads to death and destruction, not light, life, and freedom. Like go this way because this is the truth of what the word of God says. We get to teach and admonish one another. There's a responsibility there. See, notice, notice here also what, who Paul is speaking to. Like is, is he speaking to the leaders? Is he speaking to the pastors and elders? Is he speaking to the teachers? Is he speaking speaking? to the educated believers. No, he's, he's actually talking to the whole church. He's talking to everybody. He's calling everybody to teach and to admonish one another. Now, I'm not trying to diminish at all 
different gifts that God gives to, to people to, to be able to teach. Um, I'm not diminishing the role of a pastor and the authority that God is, has given elders. Uh, but if you're in Christ, you're not excused from this call to teach and to admonish one another in all wisdom. And you may be like, well, I'm not a teacher. Like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not good at standing in front of people and teaching. That's okay. That's okay. Like, Paul goes on, right? Thankfully, Paul says, here's how you can teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. He says, by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, we've made it to singing. I've been stoked for this. This is what I'm excited for. Um, Now, there may be some of you here tonight that that would say, like, I I appreciate singing. I love music. Uh, I I appreciate the worship and and the team that stands up here every week and leads. They do a great job, and I'm thankful for them. But I just don't like to sing. Like, that's that's not my thing. Uh, it doesn't really do it for me. My voice isn't good. I'm just not the singing type. And I would encourage you tonight to really reconsider that. See, I believe that if you're in Christ, you are the singing type. All of us are the singing type. The people of God have always been the singing type. If you look throughout the scriptures, you see the people of God regularly gathering together and singing to the Lord. Like, like back in the book of Exodus, when God delivered his people through the Red Sea, Moses led the people of God, the Israelites, out of slavery through the Red Sea. This incredible miracle happened. And what did they do on the other side? They sang together. They sang and they celebrated the power and miraculous work of God. Look, at, look throughout the, the Old Testament when the people of God would be Uh, ready to go into battle. Oftentimes what they would do before they went into battle against another nation, another people, they would sing together and they would proclaim the victory of God. And then after their, their battle, what would they do together? They would sing and they would celebrate the fact that God came through, that he did what he promised he would do. Even on into the New Testament, we see Jesus in Mark 14, uh, after he uh, in, in the night that, that he was betrayed, where he like washes his disciples' feet, this last supper, he institutes communion, all this happens. And then the scriptures say that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. He went in, in, into the Mount of Olives to pray. After he sang with his brothers, his disciples, he sang with the people of God. Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, in the early church, they were... They were bound in prison. They were in prison and they were were chained up. And it says in uh, Acts 16, it's an incredible story. Like I encourage you to go read it. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, uh, Paul and Silas are there uh, chained in prison. They start singing together and all of a sudden the earth starts to shake. Literally, there was an earthquake and the, the gates of the prison cells bust open and their chains were broken and all the prisoners went free. As they sang together. This is what happened when the church and the people of God sang together. Throughout church history, throughout the last 2,000 years of the church existing, they have sang together. We've been a singing people, and we will continue to be 
a singing people. Look, at, look into Revelation. 15, look, Re- Revelation 15, it says, I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the almighty. Just and true are your ways, O king of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for, you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Man, I wish that had a melody so we could join in that song together tonight. This is a song they sang. If you call yourself a Christ follower, you are in fact the singing type. And what Paul's saying here is that when we sing together, we're teaching and we're admonishing one another so that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. This is big. This is really big. When we sing, we we don't just sing what feels good. We take this seriously, especially like Josh and, and the rest of the team. We take this seriously. We're not just up here to sing the catchiest tune. We're not trying to play top 40. We're not aiming to entertain or to appease people. We're we're singing together, not to strive for some emotional experience or to even warm us up for the message. We're, we're singing so that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly. We're asking God to fill us up with his word. That's why we take what it is that we're singing, the content of what we're singing so seriously. As we're considering what songs we should sing together as a church, the number one box that we try to check is, is it true? Like according to the scriptures, is this song true? Does it say true things about God, about his word, about who we are in light of who he is and his word? I've heard it said that songs are like portable theology. It, when we think about it, we, when we leave, when you leave tonight, you're probably not going to be like humming my sermon, you, you know, but you may be humming something greater. Something greater has come. Like that may be stuck in your head. Like the fact that the battle belongs to the Lord. So when I fight, I'm gonna fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Like that may be stuck in your head when you, when you leave here. And so what we sing matters. The truth of what we sing is vital and important so that the word of Christ would dwell in us so that we teach and we admonish one another in all wisdom as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs together. I mentioned that Paul wrote um, the book of Colossians kind of right around the same time he wrote the book of Ephesians. And so there's a lot of similarities. And if you read Ephesians 5 and you read Colossians 3 kind of simultaneously, side by side, you'll see a lot of similarities. Um, And so when you get to the section in Ephesians 5, Um, it'll sound a lot like this section that we're in in Colossians 3. So Ephesians 5, 18 uh, through 20 uh, says this. It says, do not get drunk with wine for that's debauchery, but be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always 
and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the, the, the similarities. It's almost like, almost word for word. A lot of things are like word for word. But he's saying, instead of let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's saying, let the spirit of Christ dwell in you. Be filled with the spirit. He's saying, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be filled up with spirits, but be filled up with the Holy Spirit, right? This is our invitation. This is our call. So when we're singing together, that's what we're longing for. That's what we're desiring is that we would be filled with the spirit of Christ, that we would be indwelt by the word of Christ. I want to quickly point out two dynamics of our worship together. When we come together, we sing songs and we're worshiping the Lord. There's two distinct dynamics that, that are happening that Paul implies here in these texts. There's a horizontal dynamic and there's a vertical dynamic. There's this horizontal, like something is happening between us as believers. And there is something vertical that is happening, something between God and us individually, me and the Lord. So first, the horizontal. Verse 16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The Ephesians 5 uh, verse, it says it this way. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See, most of us, if, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you, you likely understand that when we come together and we sing that it's, that it's to God, right? We're singing songs to God and, and about God and for God. That's not usually, um, sometimes it is, but that's not usually what's in question. But I think an, uh, an aspect that's often missed or overlooked uh, when we worship together is that there is a real effect and connectingness between you and the people around you when you sing. You think like, I'm just, I may, I'm just here to, to sing to God. I'm not singing to somebody next to me. I'm not trying to put on a concert for anybody around me. I'm not wanting them to, to clap for me or anything like that. And that's true. Like we are singing to God. Like that is true. But, but there is something uh, that happens between us. It's not that we're not singing to God. Uh, it, it's not that we're not worshiping him. It's that as we sing to God, as we worship him, we do so corporately and collectively. That's why it's called corporate worship. And, and our participation has an effect on the individuals around me. I've seen this so many times in my own life. Maybe, maybe you can relate. When I've come into a church gathering, church service, and we've been, we, I'm I, not really stoked to be there, not really feeling motivated to sing. Maybe I'm tired or, uh, or weary or frustrated with circumstances. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm struggling with sin in my own life and, and singing isn't just the thing that's at the top of my list of what I want to do. And, and I'm a worship pastor. Like, I know that you maybe have been there because I've been there. And, and, but when we come together and we stand together and we start to sing, like even when I'm up here leading and I'm not totally stoked about it, like when we sing together, like when you sing the truth of God, you start proclaiming the good news of the gospel, he uses you and your participation to stir my affections for him. 
It's you helping to remind me that it's worth it. Like he's worthy. He uses your voice to help open my mind to think on him. He uses your singing to lift my eyes up to him. He uses you to lead me. And and in that moment, I'm encouraged. I'm stirred up. I'm spurred on. I'm taught and I'm admonished and I'm filled with the spirit of Christ. I'm filled up with the word of Christ. We're addressing one another. This means that when we come in here on a Sunday night and you find a seat and we stand up and we start singing together, it means that your worship, you participating in worship through singing isn't just for you. It's why it's called corporate worship. It's not private worship. Now there is a space and a place that we should be participating, worshiping God in private. But this, what we do is not a private space. This is a public space. This is corporate worship. You're you're not just singing so that the word of Christ would dwell in you richly. You're singing so that the word of Christ would dwell in the person sitting next to you richly. Like your singing directly affects this. You're singing so that the spirit of God would fill the people around you. Like that's incredible. That's, that's huge. Do you see that? Like, do we see that in this text? Like, that's big. So I would encourage you, like sing. Like even if you don't like it, like if you love the people around you, sing. Sing because there are people around you who are struggling. There's somebody who's just recently lost a loved one in this room. Sing for them. Like sing to encourage them. Sing because there's somebody in this room who may have just received a terrifying diagnosis. Sing because somebody in this room just lost a job. Sing because there's somebody in this room who is depressed. There's somebody in this room who is anxious. Sing because there's somebody in this room who is losing hope. There's somebody in this room who is questioning the goodness and the faithfulness of God, the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Sing because there is somebody in this room who is doubting whether or not they could ever be forgiven for what they've done. Sing because we're family. Like that's what our invitation. So let's sing out. And I, and I'll tell you like, Man, I love leading worship here. I genuinely do. I love being in this space because you guys sing. Like you guys get it so well. And I would encourage you, keep on, keep on singing because God is worth it and, our, and we're family and we love one another and we get to do that together. So that's the first dynamic of our worship. There's this horizontal one. And the second is this vertical one. This is, this is huge. It says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're singing to God with grateful hearts, giving thanks to God for what he has done. We're responding to who God is and what he has done by declaring to him and displaying that he is the greatest, greater than anything we've ever known or seen, right? That there's no one like him, that without him, we'd be lost or, and broken, We'd be lonely and hopeless, but with him, we are found. We are whole. We're brought near. We're hopeful. We're redeemed. That reality, the the reality of the gospel 
should constantly be filling our hearts with gratitude and our mouths with praise. And so as we do that, as we sing truth together to God, as we express our praise to him for who he is and our gratitude for what he has done, something incredible happens. Something absolutely amazing happens. We're filled with the word of God. The word of Christ dwells in us richly. The spirit of God actually fills us up. And when that becomes a reality, hear this, when that becomes a reality, then we are finally able to put on the new self. We are are able to do everything uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, what we do together in corporate worship is a training grounds for a life of worship. It's, It's no coincidence here that that Paul, as he's writing this, this section on putting on the new self, that he, that he rolls right out of corporate worship into whatever you do in word or deed. There's no coincidence that he says, sing together into whatever you do in word or deed. First, do this collectively and then go and do this individually. It's like he's saying, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God so that in whatever you do in word or deed, you'll do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Like if you live like that in here, then clearly you'll get to go and live like that out there. This is the training grounds for a life of worship. What we do in here should spill out into everyday life. There's this book called You Are What You Love. It's a a book by a guy named James K.A. Smith. And he has this incredible quote. He says, worship works from the top down, you might say. In worship, we don't just come to show God our devotion and give him our praise, though that is what we're doing. That's not only what happens. He says, we are called to worship because in this encounter, God remakes and molds us from the top down. He says, worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. He says, worship isn't just something we do. It's where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. Like you want to know what it means to be a disciple Uh, of Jesus, you want to train at being a disciple of Jesus, worship, like worship the Lord. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, the center of Christian living is grateful worship. If we want to be a people who see everything that we do in word or deed done in the name of the Lord Jesus, then we have to take seriously the time that we have together every week. What we do together is crucial to the Christian walk because it prepares us for how to live our lives. See, worship isn't only singing with grateful hearts to God, it's living with grateful hearts to God. That's why verse 17 says, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Our grateful worship here, we're singing with grateful hearts to God so that we will live with grateful hearts to God. Our grateful worship in here prepares us for grateful worship out there. And it not only prepares us for how to live now out there, but it prepares us for what's to come. You see, there's, there's coming a day 
where everything that we do in word or in deed will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Like if you are in Christ, that day is coming. It's coming for you. It will no longer be a struggle. It will be a reality. Everything that you do will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's so important that we live with the end in mind. That's why Paul started this section by saying, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above. That in Christ, if you're in Christ, you'll be with him in glory. So think about that. Like let that affect your everyday life. Friends, there is coming a day when everything that we do will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. Word, deed, everything will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus because you and I and and the rest of creation will fully realize why Jesus has been given the name above every name. Like we will see him face to face and we'll get it. We'll be like, oh, I get it. Like that's why he has this name that's above every name. We will see him face to face in all his beauty and splendor and majesty and glory where his face will be shining like the sun and there will be millions upon millions and billions upon billions of angels and saints singing together, gathered around his throne, worshiping the Lord, worshiping the lion of the tribe of Judah, worshiping the lamb who is slain. The church will finally be whole, will finally be perfect. The bride will meet her bridegroom and suffering will be no more. Pain will be no more. Tears will be no more. Death will be no more. It will be gone, completely destroyed. And we will take our rightful place with our knees bowed and our tongue confessing that Jesus is Lord of all. That day's coming. It's coming for us. So let's live in light of that. Like, let's live with that in mind. Let's set our mind on that so that everything that we do in word or deed will be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. What if our church looked like that? What if Mosaic at WDW looked like that? Like maybe somebody came and visited from the Winter Garden campus and sat in here and they were like, wait, did I just step into the book of Revelation and I'm around that sea, that sea of glass and people are just worshiping around? The th- like, is that where I'm at right now? Because that's what it feels like. Like, what if that was our story together? Like, what if our church looked like that? Like, let's, let's aim at that. Like, let's seek that out. In order to do that, we must let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. God, thank you that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that it's breathed out by you and profitable for us. God, thank you that we can sing it together. We can hear it preached together. We can study it. We can uh, seek for it to be dwelling in us richly. Lord, I pray that that would be the case for each and every one of us, that the word of Christ would dwell in us richly and that we would approach our times together as we worship together corporately when we gather up 
to stir one another up and spur one another on, that we would worship you, we would sing to you in light of the fact that we are one body, that we are one family, that we are working in accordance with your will for your glory together to build each other up, to see each other filled with the spirit of Christ and indwelt with the word of Christ. God, give us confidence in you to sing out because you're worthy of it, because you are greater. You have the name above every name. So God, we wanna bow at your feet and worship you because you're worthy. You're a good God, you're faithful. So God, lead us now as we sing together. Lord, we sing to you, for you, about you, to stir one another up, to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom so that the word of Christ would dwell in us and among us. Make it so, so that when we walk out of this room into everyday life, that we would see the word of Christ dwelling in us And everything that we end up doing is actually in the name of the Lord Jesus for your glory, for your renown. We pray this in your name, Jesus, for your glory. Amen.